Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Kenny Gray. Kenny is the owner and founder of Great Media, a digital marketing agency that helps scale revenue, build brand awareness, and enhance user experience to get their highest ROI, typically for e-commerce businesses. For over six years, Kenny has been helping businesses break through the digital space by building big picture strategies for marketing and leveraging paid advertising, data and analytics, marketing automation, SEO, web design, and conversion rate optimization. He's scaled multiple e-commerce brands to six and seven figure incomes over consecutive months by dialing in on the user experience. Today, Kenny and I are going to be diving into the world of digital marketing and how to scale. We're going to be talking about how to gain the highest ROI and make your brand actually get noticed. We'll learn what works from Kenny's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses and individuals just sometimes miss the mark. Kenny, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Stacey. Of course. What I'd love to do is start off the conversation always on how did you get started in this industry to get you to become an agency owner specializing in digital marketing? Right. It has been quite the journey. I'd say right out of school, I got a small position with the Golf Channel. Their headquarters was here in Orlando. So I got really lucky, got with NBC Sports, did some SEO, analytics reporting, uh, a little bit of YouTube, social media stuff. And that just kind of triggered it. I unknowingly kind of already had a knack for it where I was working in hospitality. I was helping promote, you know, local bars or nightclubs, Mm -hmm. little things like that, where, you know, it's marketing technically, but didn't really realize it at the time or really coming up with plans for, uh, you know, main projects at school. And that's just really what was interesting. It just kind of caught my attention. That's kind of what I really like dove into. And then after that, I got a position with a smaller agency in town where I learned a little media buying and then that kind of came naturally as I knew already knew analytics and I knew how everything functioned from a lot of the experience from, you know, the golf channel. So from there, I was like, all right, well, all right, media buying is great, but how these websites run is a little more interesting. So, Hey, I want to learn email. I want to learn the SMS piece. I want to learn how to build funnels. I want to learn how to build websites. So all of that curiosity, I just kind of kept pulling on the string and I just kind of taught myself essentially and, was blessed with the opportunity where I had projects to work on. Obviously, in some cases, they were favors or, you know, when you're first starting out, they're very low fees. But eventually, you know, you just you start to learn more and more. Uh, you learn from your peers. You join a lot of groups. And eventually, you just get better and you kind of own your skill. So from there, I started to freelance for a little bit and things were going really well. Uh, so then I started to build a team and I was like, all right, well, now I want to learn how to run like the business side of things. Well, you know, after you make somebody so much money, you're like, I see what's going on over there and I want a piece of that. (laughs) So it's like, I know I can deliver on the service, but now that's getting a little boring. So maybe I'll teach people how to do that. And now I'll focus on, you know, the big picture side of everything. Mm -hmm. And then here we are now, just business is going great. It's definitely a different environment and atmosphere than it was when I first started six years ago. And over the last like two or three years, just digital marketing has changed so much. And a lot of people are a little more savvy, a little bit more involved. You got like your drop shippers, you got your influencers and everything like that. But actually I 
kind of was looking forward to the show because of the name of your show, Marketing Mistakes. And that's something we always kind of focus on, especially when we're doing paid ads. Like sometimes it's not about where you're spending your money. It's like, you know, what's wasting your money? What's wasting the budget? What are you spending on? That's like, you don't even need to do that. You could buy data, but you might just be wasting your time or wasting your budget that you could be putting elsewhere. So how do you, and I love that, but how do you, you know, what's the first step that you take with clients to make sure they're not doing that? How do you start them off on their path and journey to success with you to ensure that all the wrongs that they've been doing are no longer? Well, I mean, at first it's going to be different with every brand and client that you work with, right? Sometimes they've been around for a while. Sometimes they're only doing stuff on Amazon, but they're not capitalizing on their own store where maybe your margins are a little better. You have better control. Some people have been running their business for a while. This one company we've had, they've been around for like four or five years, great detail, auto cleaning parts, basically without revealing too much information. But uh, one of their things that I kind of noticed was they started to grow too fast internally, where I have another friend who is actually, a com- their brand is a competitor, and he's a partner for that company. They run a very slim model. They run like three people, and all three people are maxing out and, you know, filling everything they need. They might have a few, maybe like a Google AdWords specialist in there. But this other brand that we were trying to help out, they had like a team of 10 or 12. And it just didn't make sense. So some of that advice kind of came from, I mean, outside of, hey, we got to get your conversion rate better by, you know, doing sales funnels. We also need to get your AOV up. We need to bundle some of these products together. We need to run traffic here and explain why this is like the value buy. But outside of those levers that you can pull, also maybe you don't need to pay for graphic designers. (laughs) Maybe like sometimes busy work is not good work. You know, work with purpose, work, you know, for a reason. Not just because you can hire people and then you can spend money on it because then it'll hurt you down the road because even if uh, Facebook, Instagram ads are kind of dying a little bit right now, they're getting a little bit more pricing. We have tracking issues, but if I can spend 60,000 on Facebook ads and get you at least 60,000 back, I don't know if you can spend 60,000 on or an organic own organic social media manager and kind of see that same return immediately, especially when you're in the early stages. It's different once you break through where you're doing million dollar months consistently and ads are just kind of like a cherry on top, which we have a few brands like that too. Like they'll be fine without us at this point, but it is a enhancer. We can get more brand awareness out of them. So kind of taking a step back, not to be cliche, but do that 30,000 foot view and just kind of like, what's actually making me money and what's, why, how am I losing money? So a lot of brands, you know, unpacking with what you just said, and you said a lot, that's really valuable <laughs> right there. But when we're looking at that, you just said for brands and companies who are creating their own in-house social media, and it's all organically driven and they have that $60,000 employee that maybe they need to not be spending that employee's time and efforts on organic social building and look more so for a paid campaign. Would they not need any organic at all? No, I wouldn't say that at all, but I feel like in digital marketing these days, you have a lot of Swiss army knives where, you know, you don't need somebody to focus on posting every single day with uh, exact precision, especially since what we're seeing now is lower quality probably performs better than the higher end, higher quality images and videos. So taking out your phone, filming something just natural, native, organic, that just feels real, like I'm dealing business with real people. 
it's going to be better than spending, you know, $500 on a really great graphic design for, you know, you have to go and outsource it or you spend hours on that if you're paying that person. I well, there's rule also it out entirely basically. <laughs> okay. There's yeah. also some now really great, you know, outsource graphic design options that you can do at really low dollars, which are yeah, exactly. just having to have that talent in-house too. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with a client for the first time, how do you get started? How do you dive in and figure out where to start? You know, is it social? Is it newsletters and email lists? Is it, you know, there's Google analytics, like where do you go? Because it's a little mind boggling, I think, for a lot of mm -hmm. small and mid-sized um, owners who are like this. I've, I've figured out how to sell my stuff, <laughs> but now there's this digital landscape that I also have to figure out. It's a whole other beast. Yeah, there are so many different avenues and it can be really overwhelming if you're not in it every day. So somebody new coming to it, how do we determine? I mean, first we're going to you know, figure out what you're trying to sell. What's the problem? What solution does your product or service provide to any of these issues or problems where people are going to be looking for them? And then when it comes to digital marketing, the whole point is going to where your target demographic is going to be. So in many cases in the last decade, it has been Facebook and Instagram ads because that's been like the leading app. That's where everybody is. So if I'm going to go put up billboards, I want to put up billboards on the busiest highways. And that busiest highway was Facebook and Instagram. That's starting to change a little bit. The tracking issue starting to kind of hit everyone in their own way. There's definitely ways around that. But to your question is, we want to figure out who's your target demographic. Where do we think they're going to be? In some cases, that might be Facebook. Some cases, it might be search query based where people are Googling for those solutions. Mm -hmm. And then we want to bid on those search queries and pop up. It might also be on YouTube. It might be on, there's so many channels, like uh, I can't even go through all of them. Pinterest, TikTok. It might just be articles. People are like, oh, these people tend to read the uh, Times New Roman blogs all the time. So, or, you know, whatever it might be. Quora uh, or, or Medium or so many different places now. Uh, yeah, exactly. So really determining where your target demo is going to be. And then you want to try catering to that target demographic and what's going to work on that channel. So if we're looking at Facebook, you're going to be dealing with a different set of creative and landing page versus uh, if it's a younger demographic and they're going to be on TikTok a lot, then we're going to want to entertain them. We know their attention spans a little shorter and we're really going to have to dazzle them. And then they're actually smart in their own way too and very savvy with the market. So you also have to convince them like, why would I pick you over you? Or, you know, what, what influencer or celebrity is backing this product or service versus this one over here? And they grew up with the internet. So they might not be as susceptible to scams as some people who are, you know, still are using AOL emails or not, not a jab at AOL emails because my fiance uses one for some so reason, does, but so does my husband. <laughs> it's an odd thing, but uh, you know what I mean? They, uh, the exposure that they have to the internet and what they're, you know, they see all the time. So when you're looking at all of these different approaches that you can do, is there one that is your go-to that is like always part of your quiver? It's always going to be something that you're going to include when building out a campaign. Well, I'd always first start with their website or if they're doing like a product funnel, whatever it might be. Uh, what the user is experiencing is really important. We can manipulate in a way in ads to get a great click-through rate, very cheap traffic, very cheap clicks. But once they get over to your page, if there's a disconnect there, 
or even something as little as your page takes too long to load, you already lost your opportunity to pitch then, right? So we're going to start there. Uh, and then we're going to implement tools like email SMS. We want to collect data at this point to try and remarket to them or give them a better offer, uh, especially with these pixels that can no longer track as accurately as they once could. Now we want to own the email or the phone number so we can market directly to them instead of just hoping like, oh, we put them into a bucket list and maybe we can hopefully target them down the road. Uh, and then after that, when it comes down to paid ads uh, and organic in general, I usually suggest to most brands that they should be on every channel. You might shift your budget to what makes sense, but usually if the chance that they go on a Facebook or Instagram network, I want to be able to hit them there. If they start scrolling through TikTok, I want to get some brand awareness there. Uh, it comes back to that old school uh, touch points of marketing before somebody converts with you. So that number is always, you know, it's 14, it's 22, it's 30. Either way, you got you need to create multiple touch points just to get that first purchase through that user journey. So maybe they discover you on a YouTube video and then they go to your website. Now they're pixeled. Now we start targeting them on our remarketing on Google, on Facebook, on TikTok, and then eventually they give us an email. Now we provide some more value. Uh, and then those are all multiple touch points till eventually they make a purchase or, you know, you get your, you dig into those analytics and you see where they bounce off of it. And it's like, oh, okay, every time they get to the product page and look at the price, they leave the page. So maybe that's something that we can start AB testing. So at first, sometimes you have to buy a lot of data, kind of determine what the market's telling you, and then you need to start pivoting. With all of the influencers who are out there who have started their own products because that is like that's the go-to we we talk with influencers mm -hmm. all the time and they're like oh i have now this product it's my own instead of hawking your product i'm gonna hawk my own product mm -hmm. just because they're doing that that's not resulting necessarily in sales for them either they're having to actually put together digital marketing campaigns besides just using their own platforms Right? Or are you seeing tremendous success with them getting sales just through their own organic socials? I've seen a mix. I've seen a few where, you know, they might have a lot of followers and they get decent engagement, but that doesn't always equate to sales. Mm -hmm. um, I work with a lot of fitness influencers, um, a couple like uh, Bradley Martin. He's very big. He has millions of followers and he's involved with many different demographics and a huge in the gym scene. But over the years, he puts out content consistently. He's established himself as he's very fit. He's, he's jacked, if you will. <laughs> so he's a trusted source and he's kind of entertaining. So then he has supporters. So it's like, ah, I can pay the same price for Nike, Adidas, Gymshark, or I really like this Bradley Martin guy. I'll give him a shot. So he's kind of cracked that formula. Um, obviously, we felt on the paid ad side, the email side a little bit of strategy here and there, but uh, ultimately he just stayed consistent. He stayed relevant and he kind of put into that work to build up a, a lot of followers who will engage and convert with him. Okay. So that's a good actual case study that influencer marketing works. It certainly can. Uh, just because you have followers doesn't mean they're going to purchase from you. Expect You mm -hmm. want to stay on brand in your, your niche. Like he might not do well selling processor chips or <laughs> doing real estate lead generation. The people mm -hmm. like, who's this guy? So, you know, those are little pieces where it's like, oh, that's obvious. But, you know, some influencers, they might just try that just because they have some money hanging in front of them. 
where it's just like it doesn't really make sense you didn't really establish yourself as like an authority figure in this space so why would people buy from you so we're a big fan of like just trying to poke holes and offers and these strategies as a whole before we even start where it's like yeah we can run it we can make anything and run it doesn't mean it's going to work what do you think of tiktok right now as far as using that as a sales platform I think it's going to be a great brand awareness for you. This comes back to touch points. Uh, people are on there to be entertained. So we have to keep that in mind. So we want to entertain them. But if you're trying to sell a product or a service, you also want to educate them a little bit, but in a fun way and not overdo it because we are all tired of just seeing ads. That's why people don't watch commercials on uh, cable at all anymore. Uh, you know, we'll mute the volume if you're watching something on YouTube. But it doesn't mean don't use it. It just means you get another touch point. You get an opportunity to face those objections that people may or may not have, whether it be price, promo, or functionality, or what it really offers. So we're not seeing crazy conversions. Like, you know, some of these accounts are, you know, they're break even. In most cases, we're fine with that because you take an account customer lifetime value. But it's, it's an entertainment platform. And TikTok, as a company, they want to keep people on their platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and they want to be entertained. So if you're putting stuff on there, that's just like a Canva image just with text and it's just very adsy, uh, you're probably not going to get a lot of clicks. It's not going to do well. And you're probably going to get like 0.5 seconds of screen time. And someone's just already going to swipe past you. What do you do if you are a brand owner, a brand creator, and you are just horrified at the idea that you are going to have to create videos. Are there options for you to do besides having you on TikTok not be the star? I suppose so. You don't have to be, you know, the face of your brand or company. You get another person who's very good. Or you could just go tons of micro influencers that are just really good on camera. Like all those creators make great content. Um, you know, you might want to stick with a certain demographic that you're trying to pitch to uh, again, more so maybe age or like things that they're similarly interested in. So, uh, somebody who's really interested in NBA, NFL, uh, maybe don't get somebody who's like, don't be showing all these hipster coffee shop record playing. Like that might be a wrong angle. If you're trying to sell NBA jerseys, uh, that's just like an obvious one, <laughs> but uh, you don't have to be, but also if you're starting the brand and you kind of are entering this space where everybody's on camera, your brand image is huge, uh, you just need to suck it up uh, and nobody likes what they sound like. I hate listening to my own podcasts uh, or videos, so everybody feels the same way. You just need to kind of suck it up, get over it. Uh, and be genuine. And that's how you really are going to test the market on your product or your service. Just, you know, uh, put yourself out there. It's either going to work or it doesn't. Eventually the market will tell you, and then you kind of just have to roll with the punches. Okay. What are some of the mistakes you see brands making all the time? Oof, where do we start? There's a lot of them, <laughs> I am sure. There are a lot. I, um, <clears throat> let's see. I guess on the paid ad side, we see a lot of people spending money in the wrong places and then not having their back end dialed in before they start sending traffic. So five years ago, you could run ads and you could at least break even if not get two, three X return on your ad spend, which is great. So now people are, you know, they don't have their back end dialed in as in like, 
what's your abandoned cart sequence like? What's your welcome series like? When people message your Facebook, are you responding? Are you engaging with them? Are you creating like a community? So those are like the little pieces because we can see it reflect on conversion rates over time. And then people start getting into the comments. And, and then that's where you start to see the drop off where it's like, ah, orders are never going out. It takes three months to order it. So don't even bother getting that. And then that'll just speak volumes versus me creating a, you know, a viral video that gets a really good click-through rate. doesn't matter if people, if they're out there just giving you really poor reviews. Um, and then kind of like what we referred to, or we were speaking about earlier, um, I'd say keep it as slim as possible at first. Like it's great to try uh, and build a huge team, but if you can keep it as slim as possible, keep those costs that are unnecessary down. Uh, it's one of those things just because you can, doesn't mean you should. No, because there's always something else that you could spend the money on instead that actually might give you a higher return. Uh, that as well, or it can also give you some buffer space if you're like, all right, well, the, you know, the website's just not working out right now or the offer. So we need to pull back for a little bit. And now you have some wiggle room because you didn't spend it on somebody making, uh, you know, 12 images every day that they're not really moving the needle. At what point looking at your social, should you just be like, you know what, this isn't working. Like, is there a percentage of growth? Is there a rate of increase that you should have on your social media accounts versus just being like, I am out there yelling into the wind and no <laughs> one is yelling back at me. Yeah, it's a mix because uh, you want followers, but you don't want bad followers. It's all about quality. We're talking about traffic overall here. So you don't want poor quality traffic that doesn't engage with you. So it doesn't help if you have, you know, 50,000 followers, but you only get like five comments on a post. So quality is going to be huge. I mean, in overgrowth every month, you're probably going to want to see something around five or 10% in growth. If you know you're heading in the right direction, if you're talking to the right audience. Mm -hmm. uh, but as well as that, like, again, as you're getting those followers, are they liking your stuff? Are they, you know, writing comments? Are they engaging with you? Are you engaging with them to kind of help generate that as well? So you can put small numbers on there for sure in those percentages on growth, but it's a more, I think, level of engagement because there's plenty of people, especially on TikTok, that don't follow or like anything, but they might just comment as well because they like your stuff, but they don't want to follow anyone and they don't want to start getting hit with multiple ones. There's uh, plenty of people who have ghost accounts out there and they just want to browse. They just want to hang out in the background. Uh, there's plenty of trolls out there who will, you know, put in their two cents, but I, I focus more on engagement versus just how many followers do you get? Is it ever worthwhile for a brand, even if they don't have high engagement, high followers, is it worth having almost a billboard of your social media? Do you have, and obviously it's going to depend on your type of business, right? Is it a B2B? Is it a B2C? Yeah. But is it worthwhile to have that billboard for people just to stop by and check it out and see? Or is that just wishful thinking? So there's definitely a few sides to that one, but I would say it's always worth it to put yourself out there. Maybe you start, or maybe you give a lot of effort towards like your social media presence. Maybe you're not getting the engagement, especially as like a business, usually don't get that same level of engagement as if you were a creator or an influencer. But that's okay. The business is there. You can keep it updated. You don't need to stress over it. But when people are shopping and kind of trying to validate you, 
they're going to do some snooping. They're going to see what your business page looks like. It's like, okay, they post, they, they seem real. Like, all right, I can trust them a little bit more. So we're getting those little yeses along those, uh, that user journey, just like, okay, they seem trustworthy. I do like them. We can work, you know, all right, maybe I'll start to get this now. Um, and then eventually you do hit a point. Uh, I've seen it with even small brands. Like we worked with niche foods for a long time, a big keto snack food company, not a lot of followers, but the people who are engaged, they are very engaged. They all comment all the contests they are in there. So, you know, you'd rather take 20,000 people who are liking, commenting, engaging and purchasing from you versus the 50 or hundred thousand who are just in the background, not making it, you know, doing anything for you. Well, because those people are also going to then do word of mouth uh, marketing for you, most likely, if they're that big of a raving fan of your brand online. Yeah, exactly. What else do people screw up along the way? (laughs) Oh, let's see. I mean, it always comes back to the product and the offer for me. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that because, let's see, I have one with the... Bradley with his clothing brand, we have terrible engagement metrics, like a good click through rate, give or take is about 1% on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, for example, ours is maybe below a 0.5, but our return on ad spend is like a 13 or 14, because we know what products they like, we know how to kind of keep it fresh, keep it going, we deliver on everything. So the product and the offer, finding something that people really want and will purchase that's a huge piece of it. And another big piece of that success is finding the recurring revenue because what's another one that we were just working on. We did have an issue with that, with the car parts, because people wouldn't buy that every month. They would just buy it maybe once a year. So when you're talking about customer lifetime value, you're going to wait a lot longer for them to become repeat purchasers. When you're doing clothing, when you're doing supplements, you're doing snacks, that's like a monthly purchase. So if I spent $50 to get you make that to make a $25 purchase, the CPA is bad. We're at like a 0.5 right there. But if you purchase every year, now we're talking about what? The $275 to $300 there. So then the $50 turns into a, uh, what is that? I'm doing bad, bad math right now. Is it six times return? <laughs> so, and that works out in your favor. So you have to play the long game. And the only other biggest mistake I do see when we're working with clients is people getting too granular. They want to get too into the day-to-day numbers where, especially if you were at early stages, you need to allow, you know, your traffic to gain the data. You need to get large data sets where you can actually make decisions where you can pivot. Uh, you don't want to just say like, ah, no one's doing anything the last two days. We've got to change it all. So again, that's just something where you're going to waste a lot of time and energy where, like, no, the click-through rates look okay. People are starting to like it. You need to give it some time because, you know, today, this week's going to be different from the next week. That week's going to be different from the next. It's a, there's seasonality. There's times of days. There's days of the week. Maybe if you're marketing to like, you know, college kids, they have to pay rent at the end of the month and they might be tight at that point. So you might see a slim at that point. So you want to look at these large data sets. And then once you kind of, you've ran tons of traffic or you can look at these larger data sets, then you can kind of get a little granular and just say, you know, where are my peaks and valleys and where can I capitalize on? Is there a set time frame that you should really let it go for before you start going in and picking away and tweaking at it? 
So if you're doing ads, you, you might base it off of like impressions. Before it used to be a thousand. Now I'd say it's probably like 5,000 impressions on like a single ad to that audience. Or you could base it off of a uh, price, especially with an audience because your CPMs are going to change. So the the uh, cost to reach them is always going to be different. So you can't blanket one term across all of every audience there. So normally about two to three times the amount of your goal CPA, that's a solid test. Like I spent two to three times the amount I, of my goal CPA at this audience with this ad or, you know, whatever you might be, you know, running at that time. And then that can kind of tell me like, okay, this just is, a, this is my cutoff point because it's a clearly not working. So, but you could space that out. You could rapid test with a very high budget, or you could do something smaller, let it run for like a week or two and let it get to that two to three X to allow it to build some momentum as well. And is there a different strategy for e-commerce selling goods? You know, you're selling clothing, right? right. Or you're selling items and vitamins and supplements and nutritionals versus classes. Is there a different approach when you have an asset that is more of a learning tool versus a product? I'd say there's definitely differences. If you're the brand or the owner, the courses are, are tough. You have to deliver on the value. And especially if it's, whether it's evergreen or if you're doing like a weekly training, again, you're kind of exchanging your time to get, continue to put that value into your service. So that part gets a little tough and then staying relevant. So even uh, we work with a lot of real estate people, we've done consulting on, you know, some law firm marketing and obviously lead generation for, you know, a lot of fitness stuff. So it's going to be a little different. You need to keep that up to date. And then you also have to kind of be prepared for people who maybe pulled the trigger on it and they're just really not that happy about it. So it's actually funny. One of the first offers that we worked on was like when keto was first getting big, like six or seven years ago. And, and one of the huge things was a keto cookbook. It's like 20, 25 bucks, but people who know the internet, you're like, I can just Google all this stuff. But all they did was, what we did was package it into a really nice PDF and we delivered it to you right there. So, you know, 20, 15% of people just kind of realized that and, you know, they were very happy about it. So there's pieces of that same thing with digital marketing. A lot of it you can learn online, but some people package it in a nice way for a course or a class or, you know, webinars, whatever it might be. So those are just things to consider. Okay. How can our listeners reach out to you? How can they find you? Or they're like, I want to talk to Kenny at Great Media. What do they do? <laughs> Yeah, if anybody wants to talk to me, you can go to greatmedia.com. And you said at the beginning, we had to clear up how it is. I've realized the name is too clever of a pun. So it is G-R-A-Y-T media, uh, just a pun on my name. So have to clear that one up over time. Well, it'll be in the show notes as well. And I just want everyone who is not watching this and who is listening to this instead, since we have this as a video version too, Kenny is Mr. Brand. He is wearing an emblazoned shirt that has his brand name on it. He is like, there it is, great media. He is like ready for the go of taking advantage of another platform to actually continue marketing on, which a lot of brands don't think about. There's so many things that you have around you in your real life world, as well as your digital world, that you could be looking at branding and making sure that you have a consistent brand experience. So keep that in mind, because Kenny is doing that quite well today 
the show. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) Any last parting words of advice to our listeners today? The biggest thing is I always tell people and always comes up with clients is keep it as simple as possible. Don't overcomplicate your process. So, you know, plan your work and work your plan and stick to it. Uh, The market's going to tell you if it works or not. And that's when you can pivot. So just keep it simple. That is excellent. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time today. No, thank you for having me. It was fun. Of course. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you are interested in seeing how you can leverage influencers and have them in their content show your brand, reach out to our agency. I'm happy to have our team chat with you. Have a great one.